Well, I want to welcome you back to our Engaged Sermon Series. In this series, we are taking a look at the four essential habits of Jesus that train his heart, his mind, his soul, his body to be prepared to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons exactly when it needed to be done. And if we are going to live like Jesus, the thing I've been explaining to all of you in the series is that we need to engage in the same life practices that Jesus engaged in so that our hearts, minds, souls, bodies are ready to do the Jesus thing when the Jesus thing needs to be done. What were the four main practices that Jesus engaged in? Uh, Four of his essential practices were that he engaged God the Father and the Spirit through prayer, through the truth of God's word, through Christian community, and he also engaged God the Father and the Spirit through experience. Those are four of the essential habits of, were four of the essential habits of Jesus that we would do well to make our habits. This morning, we've covered engaging God through prayer and engaging God through the truth of his word. Today, we're going to talk about engaging God through community. So that's where we're headed today. Pray with me, and then we'll begin our journey. Lord, thank you that we get to be together as a community of believers, as your body that you died to died to create. Lord, I pray that as we consider your practice of engaging in community, that we would learn about how to do it, that we would see your model and empowered by your spirit, we would follow it so that we are poised and ready to do the right thing when it needs to be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to show you this morning that Jesus placed in a, a tremendous amount of value in community. And the way that I'm going to show you this, and, and since he uh, placed such a tremendous value in community, we should do the same. The way I'm going to show you this is I want to cover four things. Jesus has always existed in loving community. You were made for community. During his earthly ministry, Jesus lived in community. And then the fourth thing that I'll cover with you this morning is that Jesus came to redeem community. So let's start with that first one. Jesus has always existed in loving community. There are multiple passages in the Bible that inform us that God is one God in three persons. That this one, the one true God of the universe has always existed in a community of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is no doubt a mind-bending truth to think about. It hurts your brain to think about it. But nonetheless, it is true. Behind All reality is the triune God. Check out the very first two verses of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Did you catch that? God created the heavens and earth. And then it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here at the beginning of the Bible, it appears that we have God the Father and God the Spirit at work. And I believe this is confirmed 24 verses later. If you look at Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Did you catch that? God said, Let us make man in our image. Who was the us that God was referring to? Some believe that God was referring to the angels of his court, his heavenly court. But there's nothing else in the Bible that supports that we are created in the image of angels. God was referring to the Trinity when he said, let us make man in our image. Verse 27 of Genesis affirms that the us Jesus, or God was referring to was the Trinity. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, right? He didn't, it doesn't say he created man in the image of angels. And that's why God could use these plural nouns, us, our to refer to himself because he is a community of persons. And we are created to reflect him, right? And so what we have, what you have is God creating a single image, his image, and he creates a single image with two genders, male and female. So we have diversity within this unity One image, two distinct people. Maybe you're thinking, but where was the you know the Son of God in all of this? Was he present and active in creation? After all, Genesis doesn't seem to say anything about you know the Son of God being present at creation. But the New Testament does. In addition to God the Father and God the Spirit being active. And present at creation, the New Testament makes it clear that God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Word, was participating too. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, referring to Jesus, all things were created there that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus has always existed in loving community with God the Father and God the Spirit. I say loving community because if you look at how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit interact on the pages of Scripture... It is in the most loving of ways. In John 17, 1, 4, and 5, you have the Father glorifying the Son. 
And you have the Son glorifying the Father. And in 17.4, you have the Spirit bringing glory to the Son. You see, all three persons of our triune God have always existed in this loving community where they were giving and serving and glorifying the other. You see, all three persons of the triune God at work in our salvation, not just in working in harmony to create the world. You see, from eternity past to eternity future, the three persons of the one triune God relate to each other in the most gracious, harmonious, unified, submissive, giving ways imaginable. That's why the scriptures say that God is love. It's, it's not God chooses to, to love. God is love. The very essence of his being is loving community. That's why we can say God is love. Jesus has always existed in loving community. Secondly, you were made for community. You were made, you know, by and in the image of our communal God, which means you were built for community. You were built for community in two directions, vertical and horizontally. First, vertical. You were, you were created to experience the love, to be invited into the loving community of the Trinity. That's what you're created for. Think about that. You were created to be invited in to this dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this dance of love. What an amazing thought. Horizontally speaking, God created you for community with other people. In Genesis 2.18, God himself said that it wasn't good for man to be alone. That is without human community. Our relationships with other people were always meant to reflect the gracious, harmonious, the submissive, the giving, loving community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is how God designed life to be. And that's why we all have this deep longing in our hearts for vertical community and horizontal community. That's the ache of every human heart. In terms of, you know, this vertical community with the triune God, it's been said that we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill, right? And that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in the loving community of the Trinity. And hasn't this proved to be true over and over and over as we examine other people's lives, as people have sought to fill that loved, that God-shaped hole in their hearts with so many other things, right? Whether it's career, or success, or achievement, or comfort, or sex, or addiction, or whatever, We've seen it over and over and over. Um, not only do we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, but we have this ache for human community, horizontal community with other people. We long to belong. 
We want to have a tribe. We want to have a people. We want to have a community in which we share life with, we share joys with, we share our sorrows with, we give and receive encouragement. For some time now, I have so appreciated this quote uh, from Tim Keller on human community. I think he describes our desire for horizontal community so well. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be fully known and truly loved is our greatest, one of our greatest desires. One of our greatest fears is to be known and not loved. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Love it. Our uh, need for human, human community is probably no more evident than when a person is in their last days of living. Um, <laughs> when I was going to grad school at Kent State, I became friends with a, a guy named Isaac. And Isaac was uh, just a, an amazing man of God. And he was diagnosed with brain cancer, um, given a few weeks to live, and then passed away. He actually was able to live 15 months, but then passed away at the age of 25. Isaac was also a track athlete at Kent State and a track star. Um, he's still um, in the top 10 of all time in the triple jump. Uh, his mark still falls there. there. There's a plaque. If you were to go watch a, <laughs> a track meet at Kent State, you would find a plaque by the long jump pit of Isaac. Tremendous guy, tremendous athlete, captain of the, the track team, helped win, help uh, Kent win an outdoor MAC championship in 2000. But here's the thing. When, when Mary and I would go visit him in the hospital, um, were any of his trophies and accolades there? Was, it, was he wearing his championship ring? No. He didn't want his trophies. What he wanted was the people that he loved the most there with him by his side. When I first met Isaac, he, I, he would complete all of his emails with the quote, relationships are everything. And when I first read that quote, I was like, I don't know if relationships are everything. But the more I thought about that quote back in those days, the more I came to realize Isaac's right. Our relationship to God and our relationship to other people, that's what matters most in life. At the same time, uh, back in the early 2000s, I was reading The Purpose Driven Life. And at the same time, as I was thinking about this, I read this quote from Rick Warren in that book. I have been at the bedside of many people in their final moments when they stand on the edge of eternity. And I have never heard anyone say, bring, my, bring me my diplomas. I want to look at them one more time. Show me my awards, my medals, that gold watch I was given. When life on earth is ending, people don't surround themselves with objects, but when what we want around us is people, people we love and have relationships with. 
In our final moments, we all realize that relationships are what life is all about. Check this out. Wisdom is learning that truth sooner rather than later. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to figure out that nothing matters more. Um, let me uh, tell you this. Guess what? Uh, the plaque at the long jump pit in the field house at Kent State that is on, honors Isaac says at the end, disciple of God, in the quote, relationships are everything. Uh, 2018 New York Times article uh, spoke about loneliness in this way. In recent decades, researchers have discovered that loneliness left untreated is not just psychologically painful, it also can have serious medical consequences. Rigorous epidemiological studies have linked loneliness and social isolation to heart disease, cancer, depression, diabetes, and suicide. Vivek Murthy, the former United States Surgeon General, has written that loneliness and social isolation are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. What people are coming to realize is what the Bible has said all along. You were made for community. Jesus has always existed in loving community. You were made for community. Thirdly, during his earthly ministry, Jesus lived in community. The scriptures are clear that Jesus, while he was on earth, remained in loving community with God the Father and God the Spirit, right? He remained in that vertical community. In John 8, 28, Jesus stated that he did nothing on his own accord, by his own initiative, but rather only did what the Father taught him to do. At the start of Jesus' ministry, you remember, and you may remember in Luke 4, what did Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He remained in that vertical community. And then while on earth, Jesus lived in community with other people. And he willingly chose to depend on other people to complete his mission, which is just tremendous. And I think it just speaks even more to the wonder of the incarnation that the God of the universe would allow himself, willingly choose to be dependent on other people to fulfill the, the call the Father had on him in his life. Just remarkable. Think about it. As a baby, Jesus was nursed. He had poopy diapers that needed to be changed. Fed by a young, poor, teenage mother, nursed by her. As a child, he learned and grew through his relationships with family and friends. And then even into adulthood, all the way through his ministry, Jesus continued to choose to depend on other people in order to live out and fulfill his mission. Jesus came to serve and not be served, but he did allow people to serve him. Look, Luke 8, 1 through 3 tells us that the reason Jesus was able to do this ministry that lasted three years without having a job was because many of his followers, including women, financially supported him and the disciples. He was dependent upon their financial resources. 
Um, I think of the countless number of families that would have provided Jesus and his disciples room and board as he traveled and didn't own a home. I think of Jesus allowing Mary of Bethany to anoint his feet with oil. Scholars would tell you that it was a way of Jesus' body being anointed and prepared for his imminent crucifixion. I think of uh, Jesus relying on John and Peter to prepare the Passover meal. I think of Jesus in the garden sharing with Peter, James, and John the great agony he was in and asking them for prayer. I think of the women. Women are amazing in so many ways, and the scriptures bear witness to that. I think of the women who Matthew 27, 55 uh, tells us that they had followed Jesus from Galilee during his ministry and ministered to Jesus, and they were the ones who stuck with Jesus all the way through his crucifixion when everybody else rejected and abandoned him. Look, if Jesus needed human community to accomplish his mission, what makes us think that we can accomplish God's call on our lives apart from dependence on others? Jesus had the crowd that he was in community with to some degree that he taught. Jesus had 72 followers that he was more intimately in community with. Jesus had the 12 that he the intimacy just increased with the 12. He spent three years traveling with them everywhere, eating every meal with them, right? Serving with them, handling conflict with them. And then Jesus had his inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And it was his inner circle of three that he was the most transparent and vulnerable with. They got to see his transfiguration. They got to be with Jesus in the garden when he separated himself from the 12. They got to be with Jesus in his most um, gut-wrenching moments. What about you? Are you participating in human community at multiple levels? One way you can do that is by being here on Sunday mornings. It's a way to participate in community in a large group. Another way you can do that is by connecting in one of our life groups. And I really encourage you to have a Peter, a James, or a John that you can tell, as Jenny Allen says in her new book, Get Out of Your Head, that you can tell your last 2% to. The part of you that often you keep inside of yourself because you are ashamed of and it just remains locked up inside of you. Who do you have in your life that you can tell the last 2% to? Do you have a James, a John, or a Peter? We are only as sick as our secrets. I believe this with all my heart. John or James 5:16 says confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some people have the view that they don't need human community, that all they need is God in the Bible. But this attitude reflects more of the doctrine of the gospel of individualism than it reflects what we see on the pages of Scripture. 
The pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament assume that God's followers will be in community with one another. It's a given. Jesus has always existed in loving community. You were made for community. While on on earth, Jesus lived in community. And finally, Jesus came to earth to redeem community. Community needs redeemed because we have made an absolute mess of it. Unfortunately, the first humans were created to live in this loving community of the triune God and to live in loving community with one another. Unfortunately, they rebelled against God's good design. And the sin entered in, resulting in the breakdown of community at all levels. That is still going on today, and that everyone in this room has participated in. We've all participated in the breakdown of community. You know all too well that there has been a tremendous breakdown in community at all levels, right? Broken marriages, broken families, broken friendships, broken work relationships, broken race relations, broken relationships between political parties, Clicks in schools, wars between countries. What, ha- what is happening in Syria right now is crazy. Every sort of division and discord you, uh, you can think of exists in our world. It has become a hot mess of broken community everywhere at all levels. And some people have been so hurt in community that they're trying to make themselves believe that they don't need it, that they're better without it. There's plenty of people that want to move to Montana off the grid and never see another human being in their life. But what they're doing is they're suppressing a longing in their heart that can't be suppressed. I believe that this broken community that exists in our world has led to what people are calling the loneliness epidemic. One magazine that I really appreciate that I've subscribed to for years now is Christianity Today. I just read this article a couple weeks ago. It just came out, I think it was three weeks ago. And in the article, it cites a 2018 national survey It was completed by the global health service company named Cigna, and it revealed that loneliness is at epidemic levels in our country. Epidemic levels and uh, poses a severe health risk to the general population. Britain has already discovered this, and the prime minister of Britain a couple years ago actually created a position that the the prime minister calls the the loneliness minister or something like that to deal with this problem. Check out what this survey of 20,000 U.S. adults revealed. Nearly 50% of the respondents reported feeling alone occasionally or continuously. 43% feel that their relationships are inconsequential and that they are isolated from others. 25% rarely or never feel as if there are people who truly understand them. 20% rarely or never feel close to other people. 18% rarely or never feel that there's anyone they can talk to. Guess what generation feels the loneliness? The loneliest. Those adults in Generation Z, which are adults ages 18 to 22. 
the New York Times article that I referenced early, earlier, it states this, and this is so true. A decade ago, companies like Facebook, Apple, and Google pledged that their products such as smartphones, social media, and the internet would help create meaningful relationships and communities. Check this out. Instead, we've used the media system to deepen existing divisions at both the individual and group levels. What people are using social media for is to demonize the group that they're not a part of. That's what happens. Is there any hope for community? Is there any hope for satisfying this core longing that every human heart has? Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the answer. Look, we know that Jesus greatly values community because he came to redeem it. In fact, one of the ways that the Bible describes what Jesus came to do, his saving work is in terms of reconciliation. Jesus worked to restore both vertical community and horizontal community. First, vertical community. Jesus made it possible for humans to get back in the dance of the loving trinity. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5:18 and 19 says, "Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation." That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, that is counting their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Our sin ruptured our relationship to the triune God. And so Jesus, he comes and he dies to pay for our sin that ruptured that relationship so that we could be forgiven and adopted as a son or a daughter into his royal family, never to be separated from him in the loving community of the Trinity again. To receive this gift of reconciliation to God, we must repent of our sin. We must repent of the ways that we've ruptured our relationship to God. And we must believe that Jesus died for us and he rose again. We must choose to have Jesus as the Lord of our life. Jesus also came to reconcile horizontal community. Brandon read this scripture. Let me read it to you again. And I'm going to read it to you from the NLT translation because I think it's a bit more easy for the layman to understand than the NKJV. Check it out. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. And peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father 
through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. Check out this passage, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look. This Galatians passage is telling us, look, the normal dividing lines that exist in our world today that we use to say who's in and who's out and that we use to elevate ourselves over other people so we can look down our noses at other people, they don't exist in God's new community of people that he came and died to create. In God's family, there's neither Jew or Greek, which means, guess what? In God's new community, race no longer matters what race you are. In God's family, there's no longer slave nor free. In other words, socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter in God's new community. In God's family, there's no longer male nor female. In other words, gender inequality is not an issue in God's family. God's family is made up of sinners saved by God's amazing grace. And so there's no room to boast. How can we elevate ourselves up over the next person that is here worshiping our one God who is unified in three persons? How can we do that? I am taking my boys through the 2-7 series. It's a discipleship curriculum um, that some of you abundant life old-timers went through back in the day, and there's this quote in there from Robert Munger. I have no idea who he is. Probably a great guy, though. The church, I love this, the church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Jesus came to form a new community of people that truly loved God, and that truly loved one another in the most amazing ways. Remember, that's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. This new kingdom, this alternate society, this counterculture that God was creating and came and died to create. Um, let me just say this to you, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Uh, churchgoers, in this age of loneliness where people are aching for true community but are not finding it, we have a tremendous opportunity. Tremendous, amazing opportunity. We can be that alternate city, that counterculture, that alternate kingdom that Jesus has created us to be, the true community that Jesus saved us to be, that shines into the darkness of our lonely world, and that acts as a magnet to draw people to be reconciled to God and to one another. 
We have the opportunity to be in an irresistible community, overflowing with gratitude and forgiveness and mercy and generosity and compassion and non-judgmentalism and laying aside our preferences and desires for the sake of others. Let's be that community. Let's be that community. Jesus has always existed in loving community. You were made for community. While on earth, Jesus lived in community. Jesus came to earth to redeem community. Let's be the redeemed community he calls us to be. Why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, you are the answer. You are the answer to all of our pain. You are the answer to all of our fears. You are the answer to all of our needs and our heart's core longings. Lord, thank you that uh, you've done. And, and I think about even Brandon's song that he wrote, the last song we sang. Lord, I think about the fact that you were rejected and excluded by your family, by your friends, by your people, the Jews, by the Romans. You were excluded, you were rejected, you were abandoned, you were pushed outside of community so that we could be brought into it. Thank you for going to such great lengths to allow us to have community with you and the triune God and with people as God, as you have designed it to be. Lord, I pray that this community of believers here at Abundant Life would be so winsome, so loving, so caring, so compassionate and merciful that people want to be here and that people... Lonely people find a people, and lonely people find a home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.